Welcome to In Your Area. This episode features a conversation between Dave P. Brown of The Real Estate Company and Gloria Vinci of Vinci Phillips Law. The duo break down the different types of foreclosure situations, talk through judicial sales, dealing with multiple offers, and how to manage foreclosure timelines during the COVID-19 pandemic. We hope you enjoy. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is David P. Brown. Uh, I am the chair-elect with the Alberta Real Estate Association, and we're here today to have a discussion on foreclosures. My guest joining me today is a prominent lawyer that handles a lot of foreclosures in Calgary. Her name is Gloria Vinci with Vinci Phillips Law Firm. And we're just going to have a little conversation about what realtors should know, and hopefully you all learn something about uh, foreclosures today. So Gloria, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, I guess the first question I want to put out to you is, how long have you yourself been dealing with foreclosures? Um, I've been uh, dealing with foreclosures for about, I would say, 20, 25 years. And uh, before that, I was basically a real estate conveyancing lawyer. Oh, okay. So I sort of uh, know both sides of the, uh, of the <laughs> <Okay>. transaction. <laughs> perfect, perfect. So uh, I, I'm going to say you're an expert when it comes to foreclosure. I know I, I've done many deals with you myself, and you and your team do a wonderful job. And uh, I thank you for, again, being with me today and being able to answer some of these questions for our realtors. So let's start with the beginning. So what really triggers a foreclosure? We get people say, oh, they're going to be in their house for a year or two before they have to worry about anything. Um, they didn't make payments for six months. Now it's going to start foreclosing. When do we really see a foreclosure starting? Well, basically a foreclosure starts when the um, mortgagor defaults on his mortgage payment if the mortgage has not matured. Or it can also happen if the mortgage has matured and even though the mortgagor has made all his payments throughout the term of the mortgage, he cannot get alternate financing to pay out the uh, mortgagee or the lender in the property that is mortgaged. So there are, you know, those are the two situations where foreclosure actions start. Um, now, with respect to the timing of when the lender um, starts, basically pulls the trigger on, 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 on the mortgage, is a matter of policy of that particular lender. Some lenders want to give a few, they try to, most lenders try to work with, with the mortgagor to see if they can, you know, if they can uh, come to some kind of um, a payment arrangement. And usually, I would say that I would say 9.9 .9 times out of 10, before the lawyer gets the foreclosure action, the lender has had quite a bit of interaction with the mortgagor to see if they because the lender doesn't want your property, doesn't want the property. Oh, they they, they want to get paid. They got costs that's, that's right. going to be in that, and I'm sure they don't want to bear those costs if they don't have to. So it's basically the, a foreclosure lawyer comes into play at the very end. Uh, when when there's nothing else that can be done with the mortgage or um, as it pertains to any kind of prepayment, you know, payments uh, arrangements. So even missing one payment with some lenders may start the foreclosure. 
you know. Well, it depends on it depends on as I say, it depends on the lender. Usually, if you if the lender is in first position, uh, usually they'll wait a few months before they you know they uh, they start a foreclosure action. You see the one month uh, or one missed payment situation if you're in second position, third position, uh, you know, where there's more um, pressure to get your security uh, 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 or your, you know, your equity, if there is any out of out of this uh, property. Okay. Well, talking about foreclosures themselves, um, they're not all the same. There's basically a couple of different types of foreclosures. Do you want to touch on that, Gloria? Sure. Um, well, one one uh, one situation where uh, is where the lender has taken title to the property. In other words, the lender has gone through the whole foreclosure prop, uh, process and has taken title to the property. The other situation is um, where the um, foreclosure starts and then the property is put up for sale under what we call a judicial sale. And it's a court-ordered sale where the court is involved basically in the selling of the property. And and uh, those are basically the two situations. Okay, so in a court-ordered sale, would there still be people living in the house? Yes, for sure, for sure. Quite often. Quite quite often, yeah. They're still living in the property. And uh, the, um, the judicial listing realtor has to market the property with these people living inside. Which, uh, again, speaking from experience, can be fairly challenging on some of the ones. Exactly. I know know when we get an order from the court, the first thing we look and say, is it occupied? Let's hope it's not. I know, I know. (laughs) And and, uh, most of the times, you know, the realtor has no problems. But there are certain situations where the occupants will not allow the realtor access and so what has to happen is we have to give them time and we, you know, to get out or to allow access. And if they finally still don't um, um, give access to the realtor, then we have to bring another court application for an order for possession. I've been on uh, that end a few times and it, it, it can bring a lot of challenges. It really can. Yeah. Is there one type of the foreclosure, I, I would think just but from what we just said, that's easier to handle, obviously, once it's back in the bank's name or in the uh, the bank has title on it, it's probably easier for a realtor to handle than a, than a judicial sale. Oh, for sure, for sure. Because if title is in the name of the lender, you're basically, it's in a way, I mean, it's a private sale, if you want to call it that. It's, it's you know, the, the lender, the owner of the property is selling the property to uh, a third party. Um, there are some, you know, the lender will want to sell that property on an as-is, where-is basis, which by that I mean no representation, no warranties uh, on the property. Uh, whereas if you're selling um, a judicial listing or a court-ordered uh, a property, and as I say, you, the court is always involved in that, so you have to make court applications. And it's basically the seller then becomes the court. Um, and it's in the court's hands whether it will approve the sale or whether it will want to extend the listing, 
um, at you know at a different price and so forth and so on. So okay. it's two different situations. I know I've run across uh, situations on judicial sales where the owners of the house said, "Well, I'm not going to accept any low ball offers, or I'm not going to accept this or that." Really, when it comes to a judicial sale, they don't have a say in the matter, do they? Well, they have a they can make representations to the court for sure. Um, and uh, but you know anything to do with. Um, the court system in Queen's Bench, which is where foreclosure actions are heard, any kind of evidence has to be in writing. So from both sides, from the plaintiff and from the defendant's side. So they have to, um, they can, you know, address the court, but any evidence that they want to bring to the court has to be by way of affidavit evidence. Right, so they'd have to have something like an appraisal That's or right. CMA saying it's a certain value. That's uh, right. Compared to, obviously, the court has it from the listing realtor and usually an appraiser as well. That's right, exactly, yeah. Sounds good. Do you find that are foreclosure listings good for all buyers? It depends on the buyer. Uh, for a first-time buyer, I would not recommend a foreclosure action unless it is a fantastic deal, uh, because as you are aware, probably, is that uh, lenders sell the properties on an as-is-where-is basis. So unless there's something totally unusual uh, with respect to, you know, a particular property, um, you um, you are getting what you see. With more experienced buyers, I think, uh, than, you know, more knowledgeable buyers, I think you can, you know, it, it could probably be a good deal if, if the circumstances warrant it. And, and I know, again, from experience that you could go in, the buyer, the fridge might not be working, it might not even be there. That's the right. The stove's not there, it needs this work, it needs that work. Uh, they find out once they get in the house and if you're a first-time buyer, obviously you may not have that cash available to fix that and take care of that. And I just had one a little while ago that the furnace wasn't working in the property and the lender wouldn't allow them to purchase it until the furnace was either fixed or they had the cash up front to pay for the furnace. So uh, just going back here, a question, uh, the roles of the court, the role of the lawyer, and then the realtor when dealing with a foreclosure. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the court and the lawyer, and I'll talk a little bit about the realtor. So what's what's the court's uh, role when it comes to a foreclosure sale? What happens is the order that um, the, the lender uh, gets from the court, it, it's called a judicial listing order. And it, what it does, it specifies the listing price of that property, and it also specifies for how long that property is going to be listed. Some lenders will list the property um, at a little bit of a higher price than what the court has ordered, simply to test the market. And then if they find that you know they're not getting anywhere with a higher listing price, then they will reduce the listing price to the price that is stipulated in the court order. But they can't go below what the court order They cannot go below what the court has dictated. Okay. So the listing goes on for a certain period of time. And um, if the judicial listing realtor does not receive any reasonable offer, 
then the listing realtor will recommend a reduction of that listing price. And usually what happens is that the lawyer acting on behalf of the lender will require the listing realtor to provide a comparative market analysis, a CMA. Now, the CMAs that I see vary. Um, some of them just basically provide a comparison of different properties. What the court, and that's all well and good, but what the court is looking for is a market analysis of that property. In other words, how many times has the property, how long has the property been listed for? Uh, how, what were the uh, comments made by people that came in and saw the property? Um, how many uh, people have seen the property? This is really important for the court. They want to know the marketing activity. And and what the CMA, um, uh, the way it's the way it's presented to the court again is by way of an affidavit. Then usually the lawyer, uh, depending on the circumstances, um, will either look at that CMA and determine that that CMA is enough to go to court for a for a let's say a reduction of the listing price, or Sometimes the lawyer, and again, depending on the circumstances, will also, in addition to obtaining a CMA from the judicial listing realtor, will also uh, obtain an appraisal, a, usually a second appraisal. Okay. And based on that, based on the recommendations of the realtor, um, the lawyer for the lender will go to court and make an application. Okay. And I guess on the realtor's uh, behalf, we receive the court order and it gives us a date to list by, uh, a price to list by, yes. and the length of time that we can have it on the market. Yes. And we do it and then we take in all the, the calls and the texts and the showing That's times right. to, to show the properties and then try and attract offers to the property and keep the, the lender or the lawyer, whoever you're dealing with in the case, aware of anything that is that comes up. For instance, if there were windows smashed out or anything like this, we certainly want to keep you in charge of that. And then we produce the the offers that we get, or shouldn't say produce, but we forward the offers we get onto the. Depends on who you're dealing with on the foreclosures. Most often, I I send them directly to the lender. But not all people do. Some of them, the lawyers handle them directly, and they send them directly to the lawyer. And then once a decision is made on it, we pass it on. So really, as a listing realtor, other than preparing the listing, we're kind of just a go-between uh, between the buyer and the, the lender or the court on it. One thing that I would like to mention um, is, and it's really, really important, um, is the time frame involved in all of this. Very important, yes. You as realtors, you're used to, um, you know, getting an offer and um, dealing with that offer like lickety-split right away. Yes. During, you know, during the week, during at night, during the weekend, whatever. 
In a court-ordered sale, it's, pre it's pretty frustrating, and it's especially frustrating right now with COVID-19 situations because the courts have changed their protocols, I would say, 100%. What my recommendation is uh, to you as realtors, if you're a selling realtor and you're presenting an offer to the judicial listing realtor, um, you have to educate your your clients or your customers to be patient with respect to the conclusion of the situation. <laughs> by that I mean by the when when will the lawyer be able to get a court date to go to court, and um, and that's quite frustrating. A lot of the buyers don't understand that. They think that. Uh, you know, it's going to happen instantaneously. It doesn't happen. It's been taking weeks for us to get a court date to go to court. Um, and so I would, that's probably the most important thing, uh, is not to uh, let them, you know, let them believe that it's all of this is going to be dealt with right away. It's not going to be dealt with right away. And for some buyers, that's very important. And because for some buyers, you're right, it's really, really important. They need to be in by a certain time. Um, so um, the, the listing realtor who's, who deals with foreclosure action is aware of this and um, is, is quite conversant in the whole process, how to write these offers up, what to eliminate from the offers, because these offers are, again, as is, where is. No representations, no warranties. So... Um, nobody is, you know, wasting time on these offers. It's just that the court process doesn't happen overnight. And that's why we see all the strikeouts when you get one of the contracts that's because right. everything is as is and where is. That's right. A and I know you and I have a situation, one that's going to court tomorrow, and we've been waiting six, seven weeks on it because that's just the way it is right now with the courts. We have no choice in the matter. In a normal market, or I shouldn't say normal market, pre-COVID, I mean, most offers would be in two to three weeks, would be in front of a, a judge, but now uh, that doesn't happen. So again, anybody out there that's dealing with, be very, very patient because it's not going to happen quickly. How about multiple offers? That's something I get a question on a lot of times, uh, Gloria, is multiple offers on a foreclosure. I've dealt with different lenders in the past who handle them differently. If I have five offers, I'll get realtors ask me, well, how much is the highest offer? And under the rules that I have um, with, with RICA, the Real Estate Council of Alberta, I'm not supposed to disclose what it is unless I have instructions from the lender or from the lawyer to do so. Is that, is that common that you do state what um, all the offers are? It depends on, it, it really depends on the lawyer that's handling the foreclosure. Uh, some lawyers um, will um, basically, on the first go around, and by that I mean when you have received all of these offers and, um, you know, you are ready to go to court and the lender recommends that you accept one out of these multiple offers, and usually it's the highest highest offer. Some lawyers will dis will not disclose the amount of these offers to anybody uh, until the court application is heard. So that's a step one. If there's also multiple offers and the court does not deal with that with with the the winner of, of those you know of, of the multiple offer scenario at, at you know at first instance, 
what it will do, it will call for uh, seal bid tenders. In other words, all the competing offerors will be given a few days to put their best foot forward on their offers and submit their best offer to the lawyer, to the foreclosing lawyer by a certain date and a certain time, at which time the lawyer will review these offers, uh, consult with uh, his or her client, who's the lender, and then go back to court and advise the court of what the lender is prepared to accept. Of course, this, this, this is only a recommendation of, of the lender. A court-ordered sale is all in the court's hands. But usually, of course, the court will accept the highest offer that is being submitted because they want to you know, maximize the, the price for everybody, for both the defendants and for the subsequent encumbrances as well, if there are subsequent encumbrances on the title. Now, again, some lawyers feel that uh, once the time for the sealed bid tenders has expired um, before, before the court application, they are entitled to tell the whole world uh, what the, um, what the, uh, the offers are. Other lawyers um, take the position that until they, again, until they go to court, they will not disclose uh, to, the, um, to anyone what these offers are. And the reason for that is that should the lawyer on a sealed bid tender situation um, advise competing offerors of which offer he or she will accept, there's nothing to prevent an offeror appearing in court on the day of the sealed bid tenders to make another offer. And how the, how the court will consider this new offer depends upon the, the, the judge involved in, in hearing the application. Some will say, no, we will not accept any or entertain the acceptance of any other offer because the sealed bid tenders have closed. But if it's a fantastic offer that comes into play, I, I'm not convinced that a judge might not hear that offer and the last minute. Like twenty-five or 30000 above yes. any of the other yes. offers. My position has always been not to allow anybody, uh, uh, not to tell anybody what the sealed bid tenders are until I go to court. Okay. And then let the co- at that time, let the court do what it wants. And something you touched on there, we, we have seen people show up in the court and make those applications. What's happening now with COVID, seeing you're doing it digitally? Can they still uh, log into the court? Yes, and make yes, anybody can log in, yes. Okay. I mean, they have to know, you know, which virtual courtroom, you know, the application is going to be heard and, okay. you know, and that kind of thing. But, uh, yes, it's still a public, you know, forum. Good, Okay. Why is it when we see foreclosure purchase contracts, we touched on that before, why everything is crossed out? It's just basically because everything is as is and where is? That's correct. And no other reasons behind it, That's right, right, yeah. Okay, great. And who determines the commission amounts? That's one thing I've had realtors say to me, well, you're only offering out 2% on this particular foreclosure. I'd like to get 35 and 1.5% or something like this you know, they, whatever that they feel they're comfortable getting. Who determines the amount? 
uh, well, it's it's a it's the commission is a, a matter of negotiation between the parties. Uh, usually, uh, the lender will determine what it wants to see uh, paid uh, or split between the selling and the um, listing realtor. And I'm sure it also comes down to the amount that they're maybe taking a hit on this particular deal or not. It will look at that um, for sure. I know I've had realtors come to me and say, would you go back to the lender and ask them, I'd like this commission? And I have, and they just say no. This is our set commission that uh, we as a lender put on our properties and we do not adjust from that whatsoever. It has nothing to do with me as the realtor. It has to do with what the lender decides. With the lender, yes. Yeah. Um, what happens if a foreclosure doesn't sell in a certain period of time? For instance, let's say the judicial court sale, they give you 90 days to list it, and at the end of 90 days, the property still hasn't sold. Well, what happens at that point in time if the property hasn't sold, um, the the lender has to go back to court and um, get a reduction of the of the listing price. And, um, and it, it has to show the court, again, by way of affidavit evidence, uh, usually, again, um, another uh, CMA from the judicial listing realtor, and again, maybe another appraisal, um, why the property, uh, you know, what the, what the new values are. And, 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 uh, but what's really important about that, as, as I just mentioned before, is that they, the, the court really wants to know uh, the, the marketing activity of that particular property. That, you know, the comparison, the MLS comparison sheets are... I mean, sometimes some master they don't have time really to look at those things. They know it's sort of, I shouldn't say this, but it's a bit boilerplate. Yeah, it's definitely, <laughs> you know? yeah. You know, they want to see They're how long it's been on the market. Yeah. Why hasn't it, why hasn't there been any, um, any attraction to the property. Uh, so, so that's really important. And also what's important is where the property is situated. In in what we're in whether it's in uh, you know I mean I I do foreclosures all over the province so if you have a foreclosure oh, okay. that's in a small hamlet in Alberta yes the the court knows that that property is not going to sell in any you know any short period of time right right as opposed to let's say you know Calgary or Edmonton you know okay sounds good and why do lenders or courts not accept lowball offers? I mean, I have one now that we're very low on the price, and I get a call from a realtor that says, I'm going to give you an example. It's listed at 275 and the realtor says, well, I'm going to give you an offer for 150 on this property. You know, will the court take it? No. Um, the reason for that is because in although a court-ordered sale is within the jurisdiction of the court, however... In our orders, there is a provision that says that the lender is obliged to present to the court any reasonable offer. And if you have an offer that's below the payout of that mortgage, including all the uh, applicable legal fees, the lender is not obliged to bring it to court or to accept it. People often worry, uh, especially, well, I would say just only buyers, they worry about buying a foreclosure, the property being in 
the same condition when they received possession 30 days or 60 days from now compared to when they wrote the offer and saw the property. Um, do you run across that fairly often? Not that often. Uh, usually um, the condition, uh, you know, as, as again, you, you know, the property sold as is where is, meaning no representation and no warranties. I don't see that very often. I mean, usually, um, you know, it, it doesn't, there's no change. The only the only thing that I occasionally run against is situations where the mortgagor who has left the property has left a bunch of belongings in there, and uh, you know, and uh, and that's where the buyer sometimes has to deal with that situation where you know they they, they find themselves moving in with a lot of stuff still hanging around in the in the property. I guess. And I ju- guess just on that, Gloria, mm-hmm. would they be entitled to? Any of that stuff that's left after they take the possession? Well, um, that's a bit of a gray area because there used to be in Alberta um, a provision in under our rules of court whereby uh, if the original mortgagors have, had left uh, a whole bunch of belongings in there and within a, a period of time they did not come and, and pick up their belongings, the... Uh, the the lender would make a court application to have the uh, the chattels disposed of. Now we don't have that system anymore. We have a different system whereby we gauge as to the value of the goods that are left behind. But if there were situations where you know the buyer was buying apples and at the time of possession uh, or closing uh, they were getting oranges they are fully entitled to make a court application themselves to the court to deal with that particular unusual situation. And the reason I ask this uh, you and I dealt with one a little over a year year and a half ago where they left an automobile in the garage and of course, we ran the VIN on the automobile, and there was no outstanding loans on it whatsoever. So it wasn't like the finance company was going to come back and, and take it. And when the owners took over possession of the property, what happened there? The car was still there. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a funny I can't situation. remember. <laughs> um, one thing that was advised was maybe you want to push that out to the curb and call the city and let them know there's a car sitting in front of your you house. You know, you can't do that. Well, and, and you can't. And the um, they, I believe, I made think it was a, me that said yes. that. <laughs> well, no, you would never say that. Um, I, I think they made an application to get possession of the vehicle because you can't go and register it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly. So yeah. I think they had made a, an application to the court. And I mean, it was a vehicle that was worth probably six to $8,000. Yeah. So it's not like it was a junker. Yeah, yeah, that you yeah. just towed off. That's not the first time that that happens. It happens quite regularly, actually. (laughs) It does. And I mean, most times there's an outstanding loan on the vehicle as well. So they... You can see anything. That's why I keep saying to realtors, no two foreclosures is exactly the same. Yeah. There's always something that comes up. Yeah. Um, so we've got a last couple of questions here. Um, I get this all the time. How do realtors search for foreclosure? I, I'm going to touch it first of all. If a realtor is a member of, of uh, Pillar 9, or any, if you're out of Edmonton and you're part of that board, 
you can search on your system and you can go to uh, ownership type and you put in their bank owned or judicial sale or court order and all the foreclosure listings that are currently listed on MLS will come up. Is there any other way a realtor could search to see if there's any foreclosure properties? Because some clients will say to them, I want to buy a foreclosure property. I've seen all the ones that are around here. Is there anything different? Well, um, the only other way that I know of is, uh, is you know, but again, uh, you can search the courthouse records uh, to see uh, what properties are, you know, are, are in foreclosure. Uh, but in order to do that, you have to know the action number um, so that, you know, the, the clerks of the court can, uh, can you know, um, provide you with that information. And it's, it's costly, too, because they will charge you, uh, you know, they will charge you, uh, um, I think it's a dollar a page to, you know, to access any, any information on any properties. But again, you have to have the action number. Um, um, apart from that, I, I don't know. Um, um, hanging around the courtroom. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. You know, and a lot of times to, when you hang around, it's too late. It's already gone to action. Uh, yeah. You know, um, most you know, to see what's, you know, what's cooking at the time, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember years and years ago, there used to be a foreclosure center in Calgary yeah, that used to have yeah. it just off, uh, off Edmonton Trail, I believe it was. But I'll tell you one other thing that is important to know, and this comes up quite on a regular basis. Uh, we do a foreclosure, and, uh, you know, we, we finalize the foreclosure, you know, we put away the file, and a few months later we get, you know, an irritant phone call from the mortgagor saying, my credit rating is shot. What did you do? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, we say, we haven't done anything not only have we not done anything, but the lender hasn't done anything to deal with your uh, with your credit rating. So I, I tried to find out what was happening in that situation, and then I found out that the moment a statement of claim is filed at the courthouse, the courthouse advises the credit uh, bureau of a foreclosure, okay. whereby it affects that it affects your rating. So we do nothing, the lender does nothing, but the moment there's the statement of claim is filed, they have a deal with the credit bureau that they will advise a credit bureau of. That's something I certainly wasn't. You didn't know, yeah. No, and yeah. I, I've been a mortgage lender for years as well. Yeah. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Just uh, the final one that I have here, Gloria, and we get this all the time, is how does a realtor get a foreclosure listing? I know there's all kinds of answers to that. Um, I know in my business, I happened to be at a conference and met up with the right person that was looking at, at having some assistance in the Calgary area. Um, I've had people say, well, I'm not on a list here. How do I get on a list there? I guess there, there's no real magic to it. I know TD Bank had given out some to realtors who had given them a fair bit of business, uh, kind of reciprocal situation. That's right. You yeah. know, I, I don't think there's any magic to it whatsoever. It's it's the luck of the draw sometimes. It's just, you know, marketing. Uh, you know, um, how, you know, how we all get business, I suppose. 
Uh, some lenders, a lot of the lenders have a list of who they want to deal with. Uh, some lenders believe that uh, they want to deal with, usually the banks, I think, they want to deal with a whole host of realtors because they have received reciprocal business. And uh, others, other lenders will, you know, decide that they only want to use, you know, a few people that they, that they consistently deal with because they know how the process works. Um, and from our perspective, I guess, from the lawyer's perspective on, on dealing with foreclosure action, it makes our job so much easier for dealing with a realtor that knows what, how the, how the system works. Absolutely. And don't pick up the phone and start calling every lawyer or every lender because the chances of you getting on it is fairly slim. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say that, you know, if you do get a foreclosure listing, if you've never dealt with it before, certainly talk to your broker, talk to another realtor that maybe has handled them before because they're not an ordinary listing. And there are certain things that you have to do on a regular basis. And you want to certainly put across a good impression to the lender that you've done the job for them. I know I got a call from one of my realtors this morning that had got one, and we've talked two or three times already. She's got her first time doing foreclosure, and she says, can you help me walk through the whole thing? And I did. And I did, and I certainly recommend all realtors to make sure you do that. Just don't take it on, try and do it, because if you mess it up, you're going to have angry lenders, you're going to have angry courts, and probably angry lawyers at you, which are not the stuff you want to have. Anyhow, that concludes our That's conversation it. for today. Well, we could go on for hours and hours. We could go on hours. and on and on. <laughs> you bet we can. So I appreciate you coming today, Gloria. Oh, you're and, more than welcome. And hopefully, maybe they'll invite us back to have another conversation down the line. Okay, okay? for sure. Thanks very much. Thanks. Bye now. Thank you to Dave and Gloria for their time. And we hope to see you the next time we're in your area.